Last week we had uh, some rain in our service. So last week we worshipped outside in the, in the drizzle and the rain and even caught a little bit of hail before we retreated and, and ran for cover. So, but we're glad that you're here this morning. Um, you know, we had kind of a natural catastrophe. So hopefully with all the lighting, we don't have any, you know, catastrophes this morning with uh, the opposite, things lighting on fire. So we'll try to, if it does happen, you know, maybe some of the guys just go and quickly put it out. <laughs> that helped last week with just a lot of the things that went on. But it's good to see everybody here. Hope you're having a great um, Memorial Day weekend, and um, it's a really good time to remember those who have sacrificed for us, um, for our freedoms. And so we do um, thank you. If, if, if there is anyone here who served in the armed forces, and if you'd stand, we wanted to cheer you on. So if we do have anybody here that has served, all right, here's one, two, three, all right. Thank you for your service. Uh, today we're, we're continuing on with a message series on worship, and uh, we're looking at worship. Before we launch into our, into our message, I wanted to do a couple things. First, we have some new members that I'd like to welcome, and so these are all folks who have completed our membership process, and we have a process that involves a few classes and then some uh, responsive uh, materials where people really think through whether or not they'd like to um, become members of our church but these folks, um, these are new members of our church, and um, our membership continues to grow. It's very exciting. And, uh, but as I read your name, if you would stand, and stay standing for a moment, if you would. Chris Emery, um, and we can hold your applause till we get all these folks. Chris must be teaching right now in a kid's class. So we have Chris Emery, Mark Graham, might be doing the same, Veronica Lopez. Okay, there she is. Stay standing, Veronica. Vince Jadulang. Vincent, uh, Nathan Graham, Jared Lewis, Barbara Parker, and Daryl Parker. And so these are um, some new members. Let's cheer them on. They, they've made a commitment to our mission um, and to our values as a church. And so we are excited for um, you guys making this decision to join with us, and we're encouraged by that. And so... Um, and we hope to also um, walk alongside with you guys in ministry together. So thanks for making that commitment, guys. Appreciate that. And also, I wanted to um, I want to introduce you to my folks who are here to worship with us today. So this is my my uh, mo- my mother Eva and my father Gil. If you guys would stand, and they're they're here. Um, my parents are. Um, They've been in ministry for over 30 years, longer than I've been born, and, and, and um, they, they really have set a, a tremendous example of, of serving. And as they've served for those 30-plus years, um, I, I really had the opportunity to come alongside them and to watch what they were giving their life to. And uh, what they were really doing was they were setting an example of laying down their life for people to serve and to love people. Takes... <laughs> I don't really get like this, so this is awkward. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, there's a few people that really have made a real investment. You guys are truly two of them that I love and appreciate the way you guys have loved people, set a tremendous example. Um, you learn by example. And so parents, you know, you're setting a, an example. You create an environment in your home, and, and uh, your kids are just like sponges absorbing your values 
and what's on your heart. And so I appreciate the way you guys have sacrificed and just set that example for us. Let's pray together as we as we continue on. Father, thank you so much for being here. We welcome you to this place. God, it is an honor and a privilege to um, to hear from you, Lord. And so we pray that you would speak very clearly to us. Lord, help us to um, be able to listen to you with our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us to engage what you're having to say to us this morning. Lord, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we looked at personal worship, the importance of of living for God's worth. Not just personally, um, you know, thinking about your own personal time with God. Specifically, what we talked about was worship for, for an individual is all about how we decide to live a life that's worthy of God. Scripture says it's so important to understand that our personal worship is all about declaring that God himself is worthy. And this morning I want to look at corporate large group gatherings. What's the point of all this? What's the point of us gathering together to worship as a large group this morning? There's so much tied to this idea of worship. And um, like I said, last week we looked about how worship is really worth-ship. It's worth-ship. We're declaring, God, you are worthy of all of our praise. And there's three reasons why, we looked at this last week, but there's three reasons why God is worthy. He's worthy first because of his excellence, his character, just because of who he is and what he's done. He is, he is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of living a life that makes him and his reputation look good before the, the watching world. That's the first thing. He just, he's excellent. He's perfect. There's nothing wrong with him. He's never done any wrong. Secondly, he's the creator. That's, that's another reason why we're to worship him. Scripture says, you know, he's created all things. We're going to look at a verse that declares this. And, and for that reason, he's made us even. We're part of his creation. Because of all that, he's worthy of worship. The third thing is he's redeemed us. He's redeemed us. We have all made a mess of our own lives. We've decided to live life independent of God, to do life and run our own course. And the result of that, as we looked at last week, is there's a penalty. The penalty of, of that is a, a lifetime, in eternity even, of separation from God in hell. There, and God, what he did is he redeemed us. He made a way for us to come back to him and to experience a real life. And... Because of those three reasons, His excellence, He's Creator, and He's the Redeemer, for those reasons, we come together on Sundays, and you live your lives, and you make decisions to bring Him praise, and to say, God, you're worthy of my worship. We're, we're hardwired to worship. God has built us to be worshipers, to respond to Him, to give our lives to Him. You see it in our desire for our lives to have ultimate meaning. We don't want to just live to take up space and just breathe. But there's something unique inside of us that responds to, a, we just have a desire to, to know God and to walk with Him. You know, pigs live and they die. Cattle live and they die. But humans, we do the same. We live and we die, but there's something deeper inside of us that responds to our Creator, to God. And this, is, this is worship. This is what we've been made for. And what we're doing right now, this is as we gather together and meet for worship, this is something that is fundamentally human. God has made us as humans to be worshipers. And there's a, there's a worship, or a, a, an outline. If you'd like to follow along, we're going to walk through some things, just some insights on corporate worship. As, as I want to introduce you to 
what the Scripture says as a whole about corporate worship. Because when we gather as God's family, we need to ask ourselves, what's really going on here? What are we really doing here? And so I want to I look at the backdrop of what Scripture says about this issue. So first off, corporate worship in the Scriptures is focused on God. First and foremost, what we're doing is it's focused on God. The point of all of us gathering is actually God. He is the focus, not us. And we honor the Lord as worthy. You know, we looked at some of this, uh, these passages last week, but I wanted to look again at a few of them. Revelation, in the book of Revelation, there are several worship passages as John gets this vision of what's coming in the future. He sees this scene in heaven about what's to, what's to happen in the future. And here are some of those verses, Revelation 4.11. It says, it says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, see God's creator, and by your will they were created and they have their being. Why does everything exist? Scripture says everything exists because God intended for things to exist. He's the one who created it all. And so just, just like the painting honors the painter, and just like the sculpture honors the sculptor, all creation can honor and give praise to the Creator, to God Himself, to declare His worthiness. There's another future scene in heaven from Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. And um, it says this, it says, You are worthy. It starts with this phrase, You are worthy. This is said to the Lord Jesus at one point, There's a scroll in heaven, and everyone is yearning to open the scroll, but no one is able to open the scroll. And then Jesus steps forward, and he's able to open the scroll. And there's this dramatic scene, and this is what's sung to him. It says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men. Literally, mankind. Men and women is what it's saying. For God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. This looks forward to the time when we will reign. For those of us who know Him have have yielded our lives to Him as Lord and Savior, we will reign with Him on new earth. And this is the scene that will happen. We will be declaring that He is worthy because He died for us. Also in verse 12 it says, Worthy is the Lamb. Again, this is speaking figuratively of the Lord Jesus, who was the sacrificial lamb that's spoken of and symbolized in the Old Testament. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory, I'm sorry, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. You see, he's worthy. The focus of worship is always on God. It's it's actually not on us. I bring this up because it's possible for a worship service to be focused on the wrong things. It's possible that we could gather together and the focus could be on the pastor. Just sort of a display of who he is and what he's all about. Or maybe the focus could be on the great music and just the talents of the musicians and what they're doing. The focus can really be drawn towards them. Or maybe the focus can be on the organization and the activities and the events of what we do. You know, it's easy for us to lose sight of the main focus. But the focus for worship is God. We're here to bring God praise. And that's important to remember because oftentimes when we come to worship, we have to remind ourselves and we have to rein our mind back into what the point of all this is. That God, He desires and He deserves our very lives and all of our praise. 
So we're here to honor him. Also, God is the audience. This is interesting. God is the audience, which you find out in Scripture, and we are the performers. We don't, we don't usually think of worship in this way, that God is, is the one that we're performing for as we come to worship him. We usually think of worship as, you know, we come together, we go and we sit in a group, and then someone goes up and does some things, or a group of people come up here and they do some things, and then we, we go home and we rate them with a score, kind of like an Olympic scoring committee. You know, that was, they give it a 6.5 today, you know. He was sort of on, and, you know, and, and the band, you know, they were, you know, I give them a 7.5 today. You know, last week they were like 10. They knocked it out of the park. And, and we start rating what goes on up here. But in Scripture, what you find out is that, that we're actually, you are actually the performers. You know, I'm here and the band is here to lead you to worship. But you're the ones who are performing before the Lord. He's looking at our lives. He's looking at our hearts. He's looking deep within us. And he is, he is actually um, making a, a observations about how we're responding to him. He's the one that's rating things. He's the one that's, that's pleased, if, if he is pleased. So a, a big question that we want to ask on a staff level, on a leadership level, is what did God think of our time as we gathered today? What did God think? Not just what did the people think. Sometimes it's easy for me to think, oh, I wonder what they thought about this. But that's not the most important question. The most important question is, what is God thinking as he looks at our worship? Because he is the one that's receiving this worship. Corporate worship is, is this. It's both external and it's internal. Sometimes we think it's all one or all the other, but, um, but they're both very important. Internally, it's very important on what's going on inside of us. Uh, but it's also important what we do externally, the, the way we express ourselves to God in worship. Um, we do external things to honor God. Okay? The things that we do externally, like singing and praise, and the things that, we, that happen externally as we come together, we do those things to bring God honor. And in the Old Testament, there are several words that get translated out of the Hebrew um, related to worship. There's several words. And so four of them I think I want to introduce you to or three of them for, for the Hebrew words. The first one translates just serve. It's a broad word that talks about our serving God. When we come together, we're having a worship service. We're having a worship service, and we're, we're here to actually serve the Lord. You know, we take part in this. We're taking part in serving one another. Many of you serve here on Sundays. You're setting up, you're tearing down, you're helping with the kids. This is a, this is a service. That's a big part of worship is service. Another word out of the Hebrew translates to mean adore. And this, this Hebrew word basically means you're expressing love or devotion, admiration to God. You're, as we appear before Him on Sundays, as we show up, there's some external things that we can do that say, God, I adore you. I am devoted to you. Another thing we do is, in the, in the, in the Old Testament, this is a word that was used that translates to mean prostrate yourself. Be careful with that word. But that, that's basically to lay down on your face before God. This was a worship practice in the Old Testament. They would lay down on their face before God. Why? Because it's a symbol of lowering and humbling ourselves before our Master, before God, our Creator, and saying, God, you're worthy. I'm not worthy. So prostrating ourselves was a form of worship. You know, we don't normally do this on Sundays, 
One, because it'd be tough to get everybody in between the chairs, you know, and uh, it'd be kind of tough. But, but that's the idea is you're bringing yourself to the lowest point before God. And you're saying, God, you're worthy. In the Old Testament, there was some different things that went on. But in worship, worship included sacrifices of animals, certain kinds of animals. God desired sacrifices, music and singing and noise, a whole lot of noise. Noise is an interest, interesting thing. And that's what you find as you read a lot of the Psalms was a big part of worship was making noise to the Lord. And I'm going to read you this passage out of Psalm chapter 150. And you'll see some of the... Psalm, this is the very last Psalm. Psalm chapter 150. In verse 3 through 6 it says, Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. How many of you have ever heard a trumpet in the morning? Thanks, Stephen. Anybody ever heard a trumpet in the morning? You know, it's loud. The point of a trumpet is to, to, to make noise. To, you know, I'm sure that there's a musical point of it as well. You know, it can sound good if tied with other instruments. But whenever you hear a trumpet sound, it wakes you up, doesn't it? It's, it's noisy. So this is a noisy instrument. And then it says, praise him with the harp and the lyre. That's pretty music. That's, that's beautiful. It's pleasing. It's pleasant. And it goes on. It says, praise him with the tambourine. I got one of those up here tambourine this tambourine they would praise the lord with tambourines because it was noisy it made a lot of noise it was it was it was part of their worship to him and dancing it says they this was part of worship they would come and dance before the lord not like a club you know with techno it's not like that that was different back in the day and so it wasn't like a barn dance it wasn't like a break dance it was a ceremonial dance usually performed by the men the men would come and they would dance before the Lord as a, as a worship, as an offering to God. We don't really understand that because we, we've, you know, our, we do things differently in our culture. But this was a cultural thing that the, the God's people would come and do before Him. They would dance before Him. But that, that whole experience, tambourines and dancing, that was pretty noisy. It goes on and says, praise Him with the strings and with the flute. You know, strings and flute... That's pretty music. Again, that's pleasant. But then it says, praise them with the clash of the cymbals. You know, you, you've all probably heard the marching bands and the cymbal guy, and, you know, it comes at just the right time. You ever stood close to that guy? You know it, because it gets your attention. It's a noisy experience, you know. And then it says, praise them with resounding cymbals. And you're thinking, all right, guy, cut the resounding cymbals. You know, but this whole experience was a big part of praise before the Lord. So there was all this noise, but God received that. He was receiving that external, those external um, you know, elements of worship. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Out of Psalm 47, you get this verse. It says, clap your hands, all ye nations. This is a vast crowd clapping before the Lord. A huge crowd. And I thought it would be interesting. Let's all clap together just as loud as we can. Now, loud as you can. Now, imagine, and then it says, shout to God with cries of joy. Why don't you just say, go God, nice and loud. Ready? One, two, three. Go God. So imagine, I think that's pretty neat because if you can imagine the volume of a shout, when this is written, the volume of a shout of 5,000, 6,000 people, you know, we maybe have 100, 115 people in here, you know. That's a pretty good shout that we had. Nice, you know, clap. But imagine the volume 
of, of worship when this went on. This was a very noisy thing before God, but this was an expression of worship to Him. So whether or not we feel it internally, we're to express ourselves externally. Um, but in the New Testament, if you look at the New Testament, you see some similar things about worship. The New Testament words in the Greek, they translate, the first word I was going to look at is, it translates to mean bend the knee. One word means bend the knee. People would drop down on one knee to show adoration, to show respect. This, again, was a sign of humility. Anytime you're kneeling before someone, you're showing respect to them. Another word translates into a sentence. It doesn't translate literally into a word, but more into a sentence that means from a committed heart to offer God service or sacrifice without thought of reward. One of the things we do in worship is we receive an offering. We, we give back to God because He's worthy. And He promises that when we give to Him out of our resources that He's blessed us with, He promises that He will pour more blessing into our life. Same things the Scripture says about sacrifice or serving. Or anytime we serve Him, you know, when we get past ourselves and we serve, the Scripture says that He blesses us through our service. But this word here, there's a, there's a part of worship that is tied to this, that says, God, I'm going to give these things back to you. I'm going to give my offering to you. I'm going to give my service to you without any thought of reward. I'm not expecting you to pour more blessing into my life. I'm just giving this because I love you. I'm giving this because you're worthy. That's, that's true worship in that sense. Out of a committed heart. Another word means to conduct a public service on behalf of the whole group. That's what we're doing this morning. What we're here doing is in line with a long legacy of God's followers. Of coming together to gather and say, God, you are praiseworthy. Again, in the New Testament, there's a word that translates prostrate prostrate yourself. It's just, again, the idea of laying low before him. So you have all these different words that give us some different external pictures of what worship is all about. And services in in the New Testament included a few things. First, they included teaching. First Timothy talks about this. So, so we teach on Sundays from the Bible. Until I come, it says in First Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. The Scripture was to be what was central and forefront. The Scripture services in, in our church need to be driven by the Bible. The Bible needs to be what is taught. Then it says to preaching, which is exhortation out of the Scripture. It is, it is the challenge that comes from applying God's Word. It's when, it's when I'm sharing or someone else is sharing and saying, this is what God's Word says, now here we need to go and do it. We need to, we need to submit ourselves to God and, and apply these things to our life. That is, ex, that is uh, preaching, what preaching is all about. And then t- it says to teaching. You're to devote yourself to teaching, which is the systematic explanation of doctrine. This is what, what does God say about these different areas of life? What are the core truths of Christianity? What are the core truths of walking with Him? So we're to explain and break down what it is God's Word actually says and not just um, expect everyone to figure it out on their own. But we're to take the time to work the passage and break it down. And so Paul is saying, this is what you're to devote yourself to, the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. So services included teaching. They also were to be orderly and strengthening. In the New Testament, they weren't to be chaotic. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is a chapter in the Bible that talks about how worship services were conducted. And what it does is it lays a framework, or it actually puts some, some guardrails or some boundaries around worship. 
because in some churches in the New Testament, things got a little chaotic. And so there were some there was one church, this church in, in Corinth, got a little um, chaotic at times. And so Paul was writing a letter inspired by God to them to, to, to set some things back in order. And he, was, he laid out some principles dealing with specific things that happen in the church. It's hard for us to get sometimes to get our mind around why things were written in the Scripture and, and how they apply to us because we, we live in such a different culture. But I'm going to try to explain this in a way that, that would make sense to us. Imagine we planted a church in, um, let's say we planted a church in Murrieta, out of our church. And the church started growing and doing things. And, and then we learned through some phone calls, things were getting a little out of control in some areas. And things were getting off track in some areas. And then so some of the leadership there, we call up the, the pastor there and say, Hey, buddy. You're getting off track, and so we're going to give you some boundaries here. That's what was happening in, in this setting, was God inspired Paul to write these letters back to the churches to set things back in order because um, things got off track in some cases. And so this chapter 14 is very much a, a letter dealing with something that was happening in a specific setting. And in verse 40, he says this, Everything... Speaking about the worship service specifically, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. You know, we could all just get together and go crazy. We could just gather here and just all go nuts. And everybody could do whatever they wanted and express yourself however you wanted in worship. And we could do that. And you might even find that in some places. But what we're told in Scripture is everything that occurs should be done orderly. Because God, and the passage talks about this, because God is a God of order. He's a God of peace and not of chaos. When he created things, he created everything in not in a chaotic fashion, but in an orderly manner. And so he is he wants our worship to be done in an orderly and fitting way. Fitting has to do with culture and what's appropriate. You know, we might have worship here and some church may be having worship in Africa and what they're doing in Africa here, if we had it happen here, we might think, Oh my gosh, I can't even watch this because it may be fitting in their culture and, and inappropriate in our culture and so that's the idea here is in scripture things needed to they were very concerned that things in a worship service would be orderly and fitting well we really want this to be meaningful though verse 26 talks about all the different things that could happen in a service says what then shall we say brothers when you come together everyone has a has a hymn or a word of instruction a revelation a tongue or an interpretation god through the holy spirit would would Give people a gift that would allow them to speak in a different tongue. And then, if done properly, an interpreter would come along and interpret that language so that it would strengthen the whole church. So that it would make sense and it would be beneficial and meaningful to the whole church. Because the truth is, we all come to church out of a very rough and challenging week. And we're about to head into another challenging and rough week. And what we need on Sundays is to be strengthened. We need to be encouraged we need, we need a game plan for, no, for, for us to know what are we going to do? How are we going to live before the Lord? And so we're asking that question. What will it take to strengthen people from OCC so they can head into this next week um, with the right perspective, the right mindset? In the same chapter, it also says that worship services were to be under, understandable to outsiders. We're not going to look at these verses here, but if you want, read chapter 14. It's going to raise some questions, and you feel free to come and 
talk to me about any of these questions you have out of this chapter. But if you're here today and it's been a long time since you've been in church or maybe you've never been to church before, um, then we want to welcome you. You're, you're in the right place. God has things to say to you in your life. You're, you're precious to Him. And as we look at what God says in the Scripture, He wants and we desire for this to make sense to all people. We want this to be understandable, especially to those who, who would say, I'm not a churchgoer. Ever since we started this church, this was one of our desires, that this would make sense to people, that this whole experience, we wouldn't just walk in and leave and say, I have no idea what was going on in there. That was chaotic and crazy, and, and I don't know what that was all about. If we were to do that, we would really be violating some things that God says are really, really important. And so we want this to make sense to you. It, if you look on the, the next section, really, it's internally we need to interact with God. We looked at the external things, all those things that we've been looking at. We're dealing with externals, but internally God wants us to actually interact with Him. He wants to sincerely meet with us. Look at Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Not a fake heart, not a phony heart. Not, he doesn't want us to come and put on a, a different face, but He wants us to really do business with Him when we come and gather. He wants us to draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and have our bodies washed with pure water. So while we're doing things externally, while we're singing, while we're praying, while we're listening... It's still very, very important that you take hold of your mind and you direct it, you direct it towards the Lord. You, you pull your mind back and you, with everything going on and all the things we're doing, that you, you rein your thoughts in and you direct your focus and your attention towards God. It's very easy to just come and it's very possible to come to a service and to just kind of veg out. And to, to get nothing from it, just kind of sit down. And, but the idea in Scripture is that you are a part of worshiping God. As you take control of your mind and your heart and you interact with God personally on a level that, that only you can. None of us can create the internal connection that we can have with God. But when we come together, this is truly about worship. And the external has deeper meaning. The things that we do in the external, the singing, the praying, the, the, the interacting, all that stuff has deeper meaning as the internal has deeper meaning as we connect with Him. So we're, we're wanting to realign ourselves with His ways. The big part of worship is us just saying, God, I've kind of gotten off track. In, in this time, I'm going to try to realign my life with your, with your thoughts and with your ways. This is what it's about. Because God, He knows you. He knows me very, very thoroughly. Scripture says that He knows the very hairs on your head. He knows He's numbered the very hairs on your head. I'm grateful for that. You know, God actually has a, a running total. So enjoy them while you have them. <laughs> you know, but He actually knows us in that kind of detail. He knows that much about our life. And He knows the struggles that we're facing. He knows when we're in sync with Him. He knows when we're out of sync with Him. He knows us in that kind of detail. And He has His own way of doing things. And what happens is the world has their way of doing things and sometimes we get moving in a different direction, marriage, money, decisions, and God has His way of doing things and He's trying to real, or realign us back to His ways. Look at this verse, Psalm 51:17. The sacrifices of God 
are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You know, we may do things externally, we may serve, but what God is really looking for is the heart. He's looking for the heart that is behind all the externals. He's more concerned about what's going on in here than he is what we do vocally or externally. He he wants to see what's going on inside of us. The broken spirit this verse is talking about is the one who's been tamed to do God's will. This is the one who's who's been brought under God's control and submission. Like a stallion, at a certain point, that horse is only going to be useful if it's broken by its rider. You know, and you yourself, you have to be broken if you want to walk with God. You have to let Him bring your life under His control and realign you. We all, we all want to run off in life, like the stallion. We all want to run off and do things our own way. But we have to learn, and sometimes it takes a while for us to learn this, but we have to learn to walk in His ways and be realigned. We get to a fork in a road, and God, and we want to move this way, doing our own thing, and God uses the reins in our life, and He pulls us back on track. And that, that's what worship is all about. We come together to allow this to happen on a regular basis. He says, a broken spirit, God wants that. He also wants a contrite heart. A contrite heart is a heart that is sorry when we do wrong. It's a heart that says, God, I have blown it, I messed up. So have you done any wrong this week? Yeah, I think we all probably have, you know. Have you done anything wrong? Maybe yesterday. You know, research says that three-quarters of couple of couples fight on their way to church. And uh, this is why, you know, you know, it's it's okay to come and to say sorry, you know. And sometimes that happens in church, you know, because it's a normal thing for us to do things wrong. But God, He wants a contrite heart, one that will will identify when we've done things wrong and say, God, I've blown it, would you forgive me? Or maybe to others, say, I've blown it, would you forgive me? This is what God is after, a heart. And in worship, we remember Him and we turn our lives towards Him. Look at this next phrase. If the inward is in rebellion, then the outward is meaningless. If what's going on in our heart is in rebellion, if we're not yielding our life to Him and we're not aligned with Him and we're, we're living in rebellion, refusing to get on board with Him, then the outward, what we do externally, is, is really meaningless. And Isaiah gets, gets at this. Isaiah 66, 2. <clears throat> it says, Has not my hand made all these things, and so they came into being, declares the Lord. God is speaking. That this is the one I esteem. First, he who is humble. It means that we understand that he's created us. We are at his call, not the other way around. A contrite, or a, and contrite in spirit, we're sorry for, for wrongdoing. And we tremble at his word. That means that whenever God speaks to us, you know, we, we listen. We do what he says. We don't argue with him. We don't have a hundred excuses for when he points something out in our lives that we yield our lives quickly to him. And God, he goes on to speak to the prophet Isaiah at a time where God's people were in rebellion to him. They were inwardly rebellious, but they were still doing all this outward stuff. They were coming together to praise him. And I want you to see this because... Look at what happened. They had all the external things going on, but inwardly they were empty. Isaiah 66.3 says, But whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a man. You're wondering, what does that mean? Well, God hates murder, 
And the sacrifice of bull was a legitimate sacrifice. This was a sacrifice that would be acceptable to God. It was a sacrifice that cost a lot of money to purchase a bull to give as a sacrifice and offering to God. And it looked really impressive. It would be like coming to, to, to worship and giving God you know, this ginormous check, just this huge offering, and saying, God, this is yours. And so God is saying, it doesn't matter how big the check is if the inside is in rebellion. If you're not walking with him, then, then he's saying, that, that's, that's detestable. That kind of offering is detestable to me. Then he scales down a little further and he says, whoever offers a lamb, again, another legitimate sacrifice, an important type of sacrifice. He's saying, one who offers a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. A dog was not to be sacrificed on God's altar. So they were offering legitimate things, but it was insulting to God because of their lives. Their hearts were off. Then he goes and he says, whoever makes a grain offering, another legitimate offering, is like one who presents pig's blood. A pig was an unclean animal for the Jews. and This was an unclean animal. And for its blood to be put on the altar was a disgusting insult to God. And so he's saying all of these offerings externally are meaningless. It's disgusting. It's insulting to him when our hearts are in rebellion towards him. Whoever burns memorial incense, it says, is like one who worships an idol. We know that God, you know, he hates that. He hates it when we worship other gods. And so, again, he's saying, you do that, it's like you're worshiping someone else. Then he gives this summary. He says, they have chosen their own ways and their souls delight in their abominations. They aren't going my path. You know, they're not going my direction. And so all this stuff is just going through the motions if our heart is in rebellion. At another point, Isaiah says this in the very first chapter of Isaiah. Really similar idea here. 11 through 17 says this. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. He says, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense, it's detestable to me. Your new moons, your Sabbaths, and your convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. Whenever you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Basically, he says, I'm not even listening. God is saying, if the heart is off, you need to realign it before you keep worshiping. So these are some things that were going on in the Old Testament. But this is stuff that is very, very real for us today. Where things are going on in our lives, we start getting off track. And then we think, oh, I'm just going to go to church and everything's going to be better but we don't straighten things out with God, we don't straighten things out with other people, well, God looks at that and He says, that's meaningless, that's worthless. Worship honors God and it reorients us. It's all about getting reoriented. And we honor God's worthiness in a way that inspires us to higher living. We looked at this last week, so I'm not going to speak to it, but God is calling us upward. He wants us to live above the culture. And he's hope, his desire is that in worship we would, we would rise above the streams of this culture and the ways of this world and connect with him. Also, worship guides, you know, when we honor God's worthiness in a way that guides how we live, God wants to give direction to us. Micah 6, 8, in the Old Testament, toward the very end, 
God says this through one of his prophets. He says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? First, to act justly. So we, we treat people right. We don't cheat each other. We don't steal from each other. We treat each other with respect. He said, this is really important. This is what God wants in our lives. Justice. And to love mercy. You know, there are times when people hurt us, and we have every right to lash out at them. And, and God wants... But God has been so gracious and merciful to us. And so we're, we're simply yielding that back to Him. And it says to walk humbly with your God. So as we get into these messages and as Cody and the band leads us, it, it is very important that externally we give ourselves to God and we understand we are performing. He's, he's looking at our hearts right now. You're performing right now before the Lord. He, you're worshiping and He is receiving something from you right now. And whether or not He's pleased... It depends on each one of us and our hearts, the condition of our hearts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we continue on singing. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Again, we thank you for the truth that we find in it, Lord. And our our desire is that we would worship God in in a way that pleases you, in a way that that means something, Lord. It isn't just going through the motions, but, Father, that what's going on internally inside of us, Lord, would be consistent with what we're saying to you in our songs and in our praise and in our prayers. Lord, forgive us for where we've gotten off track. Lord, all of us need your forgiveness. All of us blow it, Lord, in life, and we need you to restore us and realign us. And so, Lord, right now we just say we're sorry, Father, for the ways we've, we have lived and maybe not pleasing to you, Lord. Help us to get back on track, Father. We love you, God. We want to worship you in a way that would be pleasing. In Jesus' name, amen. On the back of this connection card, you'll see there's some next steps on the back left. And if, you, if you'd like to respond to any of these, you can check it. We'll drop this in the offering as it comes by. The offering for us is the time, like we said, is the time to give back to God. It's a way to say, God, you are worthy of, of all that I have. But these three next steps, you might consider applying the message in one of these ways. Memorizing that verse out of Micah 6, 8. Or just simply deciding to worship God from the heart. God, I want to worship you from the heart. And not just externally, but I want it to mean something inside. You might also be at a point where you're ready to yield yourself to Jesus Christ for the very first time. And so, if you check that, we'll make sure we get in touch with you to help you make and nail down that decision. Cody, you can lead us.